welcome to Creative Lives, the Lecture in Progress podcast. Lecture in Progress is an online resource that inspires and informs the next generation of talent by providing practical advice and insight into the creative industry. This podcast series features a broad range of people talking about what they do and how they got to where they are. This week's edition is an edit of a conversation recorded live between graphic designer Malcolm Garrett and Will Hudson, which took place on March 20th at GF Smith's show space in London. Currently, Malcolm is creative director of Images & Co, a communications design consultancy based in London, as well as being an ambassador for Manchester School of Art and co-founder of the annual Design Manchester Festival, now in its sixth year. Malcolm first rose to prominence in the late 70s and early 80s through his design work for iconic bands and artists such as The Buzzcocks, Magazine, Duran Duran, Simple Minds and Peter Gabriel. Raised in Cheshire, Malcolm grew up alongside fellow designers Peter Saville and Keith Breeden, who all simultaneously discovered graphic design as a career path during their school days. I was at grammar school with a good friend of mine, some of you might know, uh, Peter Saville, and another good friend of mine who some of you should know, but maybe don't, Keith Breeden. Uh, and, uh, and all three of us were, were formed half of the art group in the entire school. <laughs> and we were all kind of driven by the idea of, of doing things in art. Keith could draw, Peter had great ideas, and I just worked hard. Uh, and so between us, uh, ideas overlapped and, and kind of, uh, and, and we, we copied each other's or aspects of each other's work in different ways. Um, not really knowing where the hell we were going to go with this, but just having a kind of passion for doing it. We had a great art teacher. And, and one day Peter said to me, the art teacher, Mr. Hancock, Herbie Hancock, as we called him, <laughs> has just told me about this thing that we could do. We could go to college and we could, we could do graphic design. There's this thing called graphic design. And we hadn't heard of graphic design until, you know, we were kind of 16. And then at that point, it's like, ah, I'll be a graphic designer. Studying in Manchester, Malcolm was still at college when he embarked on his love for punk culture and music. People do say to me, oh, Malcolm, you were lucky. But you make your own luck. There were 50 or 60 people on that course. There was only two of us who spotted how lucky we could be. You know, you make your own luck. On the first year of the graphic design course, as I say, I, I was trying to bring pop art back into, into graphic design. And I wanted to learn how to screen print, like my hero, Andy Warhol. If you wanted to do screen printing in the graphic design department, you made a piece of artwork and you gave the piece of artwork to the technician and he printed it, just like you do in the real world as a professional. But I wanted to get my hands dirty, so I kind of went to the, 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 the uh, I don't know who I went to, but I said, look, you know, I understand that I can go and use facilities on other courses. And they went, yes, you can. Right, well, I want to go to the fine art department to learn how to screen print, because there they taught you how to mix inks and squeegee and dry the stuff. And I went over to the fine art department where my mates were, and I learned how to screen print. So in the second year, when I cut my hair, discovered the Sex Pistols, kind of, kind of, as everybody of that generation and that persuasion did, reinvented myself overnight. I mean, it literally was... I came down to London to stay with a friend and do a, a placement in December 1976 and went back a different person in January 1977, which is when Buzzcocks released their first single, Spiral Scratch. 
So I'd heard of the Buzzcocks. In the year above me, there was a, a, a girl called Linda who was an illustrator. I can credit her as being the first person in the college to discover punk. Uh, and she turned up one day, you know, again, going from wearing twin set and pearls to wearing black PVC catsuit. She introduced herself to Howard Devoto, the singer of Buzzcocks, got to know Buzzcocks, became Howard's girlfriend, and then introduced me to Howard. And from there, introduced me to Pete Shelley. They wanted a poster that they could use, a generic Buzzcocks poster that they could write on the top of, you know, playing a band on the wall this Saturday, 23rd, and, and literally write on the poster. And so... I volunteered. I can do that. <laughs> I'm a graphic designer. I know. I, I, I kind of understand what you're about. Uh, and I used it as a vehicle to continue my self-education in learning how to screen print. It was during his second year of college in 1977 that he created a record sleeve for the Buzzcocks, serving to kickstart his career in design. If I can kind of go into designery geekdom for a little bit... I think one of the reasons that it did have an effect is that it was the attitude I brought to it was both to do something that was not like the kind of record sleeves I saw around, which were photographic or illustrative or using the front of a record sleeve as a mini art gallery, uh, nor was it like uh, the contemporaries of the Buzzcocks. It wanted to be as different as the Sex Pistols were to the rest of the music industry, but also different from the Sex Pistols. And so I treated it like uh, the thing that it is. It's a box. It's a flat box containing a round object that has no right way up. Um, so, and also the attitude of Buzzcocks was that there wasn't an A-side or a B-side. There was a side A and a side 1. So the whole idea of which way up is it, which is the front, which is the back, which is, you know, what's the right way up for the, you know, a record doesn't have a right way up. Uh, so I've just played with a record sleeve as a box, as a package. The interesting thing was when I come up to put up my final year show, I think you had three days to put up your show. And for two and a half of those days, uh, I was in London delivering a piece of artwork for, for Buzzcocks. I was, deliver, was delivering the Love You More sleeve. And I came back and I rushed. And in my uh, confidence and arrogance, uh, I figured I was guaranteed a first because I was easily the most hardworking student in my bit. Uh, and, and I had all this work. <laughs> and weirdly enough, back then the external examiners had a lot more power than they do now. Back then they could actually change a degree. So it was, it was an accepted given that I was going to get a first at the end of the year. The uh, external ex examiner came in, looked at my work and how shoddily I'd put up the show and declared, no, nah, it's only fit for a 2-1 because it's not commercial completely missing the point that every single thing on the wall was commercially available, that you could go down to the Virgin Megastore and buy it. That annoyed me for a day. And then the week after, I, was, I thought, I forgot it. Because, like, in 40 years, I've never gone to a client meeting to show a piece of work, and they go, well, I'm not sure we're going to let you show us this piece of work unless you tell us what grades you got at university. It doesn't matter. It's just, you know, it's what you do. 
Becoming embedded in the UK's early punk scene, it was his work for music that enabled Malcolm to move from Manchester to London once he had graduated. I'd moved to London uh, and moved on and was uh, got more work from the connections I'd made. Because Buzzcock signed to United Artists, the head of A&R at United Artists quickly moved on and set up his own label, Radar Records. Martin Rusham, the producer, took over as head of A&R at United Artists and magazines signed to Virgin Records. So by the time I graduated, I'd got three clients. In the 90s, Malcolm became an early convert to exploring the opportunities and challenges of design with digital technology. Setting up a studio in Shoreditch, way before it was a hub for creative agencies, his was one of the first studios to go totally digital. As a 30-year-old running a design company, A, you can't make any money in the music industry. There's, you know... You don't get paid anything to do those record sleeves. I had to find a way of moving into a bigger uh, uh, space, which is either corporate graphics or it was more uh, mainstream entertainment graphics. In the mid-80s, I got very interested in computers. Uh, bought my first Apple IIe in 1983 uh, with a drawing system. Uh, then got first Macintosh in late 85, early 86. Uh, and so became very interested in digital net technology and where that was going to move forward. I've always been trying to be look to the future. And it was like, well, I only got one chance to be a pioneer in digital design. And, and when I picked up the computers and threw away the drawing boards, it was not what was happening in, in, the, in the mainstream graphic design business. Most graphic design companies wanted computers to just go away and leave them alone because they loved the smell of print and the feel of paper. They, they weren't interested in the screen as a, as a communications medium. At the end of 1989, we literally said, no more drawing boards, we'll do everything digital. Even if you can't do it yet, you will be able to do it. So we're going to be the, be the first people. That was the point where I said, okay, well, it's better to be known as the guy who's into computers than at that point in my career to be the guy who used to design record sleeves. I'm not sure I was actively looking for people. They were, they were sort of finding me. Uh, uh, the studio we ran was called Assorted Images. And... Um, I guess amongst our contemporaries were Neville Brody's studio, Peter's studio, Vaughan Oliver's studio. And I looked around at their model, and, and their model was uh, employee designers as juniors to replicate what they themselves did. And at Sorted Images, we never did that. I only employed designers who did something that I didn't do. And so, so we had a range of designers. We had Damien Whaling, we had Baker Dave, uh, we had uh, uh, David Crow, And they're as different from one another as chalk is from Tabri's blue color plan. Um, they, 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 they were a, a range of individuals. And even the clues in the name, I never called myself Malcolm Garrett Studio. I called it Assorted Images. Why? Because I had this fear of painting myself into a corner, which is counterproductive because, as you probably know, uh, in order to be successful, to be really successful, you need to be known for doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and doing it, keeping on, on doing it better and better and better. I was always a little bit, as soon as I found something you could do, find a way of destroying it or find a way of, of making sure you don't do it twice. 
my advice would be just do everything. Make your own bloody luck. I get frustrated that at Design Manchester, we put on events and we make it free to students. And we put on events in a building across the road from where they're studying graphic design. We make it free and we bring speakers from Europe, from the United States. I tried to get the most exciting, interesting speakers to come along. I set up workshops with those speakers for the students and the students go, mm. yeah, I was a bit busy that day, couldn't be bothered. And I think, I've just done all this for you for free and you won't go. And I started to realize it's because, and I thought the opposite would be true, it's because they pay for their education. Because they pay, they won't do anything unless it's going to be a credit. I mentioned earlier, I was, I genuinely was a really, really stupidly hardworking student. Uh, and I lied, actually. Uh, that Buzzcocks poster was not my first commercial work. My first commercial work was doing a, a, a little 16-page handbook, The Architecture in Rushome, where I lived, in, in Victoria Park, where I lived for the local church, because it was a real job. And I was quite interested in Victorian architecture. So just do everything. That's the, my only advice to students, do everything that's possible for you to do. Everything that gets you out of that art college and into the real world is worth doing. This episode of Creative Lives was brought to you by Lecture in Progress. It was presented by me, Indy Davis, and the guest was Malcolm Garrett, interviewed by Will Hudson. The editor was Ivor Manley. Lecture in Progress is made possible with the support of a number of brand patrons. They include Us2, GF Smith, Squarespace, and the Paul Smith Foundation. For more information, check out lectureinprogress.com.